Hey there, this is Jill and welcome back into the pickle jar. On today's episode, we are welcoming back our friend Stacy. Now, our friend Stacy back in episode 29 shared with us her journey with Cushing's two adrenal insufficiency. And Stacy did that by sharing with us her presentation she did as a patient experience partner. Now, this was a presentation she did in front of um, the medical community. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it, especially if you are a medical professional. Um, it's an amazing episode and I know you will learn so much. So that was episode 29. Now, if you're not aware of what Cushing's is, Cushing's is actually, Cushing's disease is actually the opposite of adrenal insufficiency, the opposite of Addison's disease. So what happens with Cushing's disease, the body has too much cortisol, which leads to the symptoms of the disease. So this can be drug induced from treatment of different diseases that require high amounts of steroid treatment. Um, or there's other, other forms where there might be a tumor in the adrenal gland causing the adrenals to produce too much cortisol, or in Stacy's case, it was a pituitary tumor. Now, I know when you listen to Stacy's story, this is going to be a more intimate story from Stacy's perspective. Um, I know with all of our stories and all of our journeys with um, diagnosis, they're so, they're so unique, but there's so many parallels. And I know you are going to find that in Stacy's story because Stacy, like all of us, she was kind of like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and she got had this tornado happening in her body and she got tossed in that tornado. And in that tornado, she had you know, all these people with her trying to figure out what's going on, but it was so loud in there. Nobody was listening to Stacy and, but Stacy was persistent. She was an advocate for herself. And with time, Stacy got out, of, thrown out of that tornado. And let's just say Stacy lands on the wicked witch, the wicked witch of the West. I guess it was the East to start wicked witch of the East. And she had found, um, her new endocrinologist that that became her Glenda, her Glenda the Good Witch to guide her down that yellow brick road. But we all know that yellow brick road is not is not perfect. And Stacy, of course, found another Wicked Witch of the West and flying monkeys. But again, she was persistent. She was an advocate for herself. And when Stacy gets to Oz, she does absolutely amazing things um, to advocate for herself and is an amazing role model of what we can do how much power that we really have if we're persistent. So um, I thank Stacy again for joining us and sharing with us a different perspective on her story. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this podcast is being recorded um, with two ladies with adrenal insufficiency at eight o'clock at night, and I've had low cortisol symptoms um, all day. So, but I wanted to do the podcast because I'm sure there's going to be moments in the podcast where um some of you listening are going to rec recognize the low cortisol symptoms. So I wanted to keep it real and authentic. And that's what the pickle jar is all about. It's all about us coming together and, and connecting and, and just finding that common ground. So I hope you enjoy Stacy's episode tonight. And I so appreciate again, Stacy for sharing her time again with us here in the pickle jar as she takes us on her journey with Cushing's disease to adrenal insufficiency. Stacy, share with us today your long journey with Cushing's disease to adrenal insufficiency. So it started um, probably, I would say, eight years or so ago. Um, I was 
going through some stressful things and went to the doctor and she just said it was stress and I should just go on antidepressants and everything would be fine. So I didn't really think much of it. And then a couple years later, I got engaged and um, it was the year planning the wedding and I was feeling a lot of those same symptoms. So I went back to the doctor. Um, it had more, I had more symptoms, like a lot of weight gain and, and different things that were, um, very fast. So I went back to the doctor and again, they just said it was stress, no big deal. We're, we're going to up your antidepressants and we'll see how that goes. Now, I believe you were in your late 20s. Late, tw- I was 28 at the time. Yep. And I think you had told me before you had gained like 50 pounds. Like there was a significant change. And I was, that- yeah, it was about 50 pounds. And then, in- sorry, that was one of the symptoms, obviously. Yes. I had gained about 50 pounds in, I would say, three months, um, despite going to the gym. I had a personal trainer. I was seeing a nutritionist, um, all these different things. So I knew that something was definitely wrong. It was abnormal. So you knew antidepressants just didn't feel like it was the right answer, the right solution that just didn't feel like the right direction to go in. Right. Yeah. So what other symptoms did you have along with the weight gain for the Cushing's disease? Um, I had very high blood sugar. I had very high blood pressure. I had back pain. I had rashy skin. I had easy bruising, thin skin, um, these big purple stretch marks all over my stomach, um, headaches, dizziness. Um, there's a lot. (laughs) Is joint pain something associated with pushing joint pain for sure? Yes. Yep. Um, and then how, so when all these symptoms started kind of compound and you kind of push forward with the diagnosis, um, how long did that take? And what did they find? How did they find out that it was Cushing's disease? So it was from, it took probably four years. Um, I saw nine doctors and specialists and I finally got, a blood test to determine that I had a very high cortisol level. And then, so the high cortisol um, was enough to get me a referral to an endocrinologist. The endocrinologist fully admitted that she didn't know much about Cushing's disease. That was my initial, um, after a lot of research, that's what I thought it was. So I had asked her if that's what it was. And she admitted that she didn't know much about it. So she referred me to another endocrinologist um, specialist in London. So he ordered an MRI and a tumor was found that was wrapped around my pituitary gland. And now, you know, from my perspective, I've never been told I have a tumor. It's probably one of those you're at a point, you've been on a long journey already, not knowing what was going on. Your instincts have told you there is something wrong with you. And just to hear those words, tumor, how did that feel when, you know, it's like you found what's wrong, what's causing the problem, but it's associated with the word tumor. What do you remember of what that felt like? Um, Tumor is definitely a scary word. And 
it was scary, but it was also strangely relieving that they found something that all of these years of me thinking something was wrong was actually proven to be right. And that we actually found the source. And now that there was a plan to move forward to fix it. No, exactly. And I think that's something so common that everyone with an illness experience, because there's so much self-doubt, there's so much, um, just so much misdirection as we're going through it. And you, you do start to feel like you're crazy and you don't know what's going on. And you try to believe the professionals because, you know, they should know best, but we forget that we learn, we become professionals and we, our instincts are a lot stronger than what any education I think that anybody can have. So yeah, for sure. I, I was starting to think, oh, I'm just a hypochondriac. Maybe I'm just making all of this stuff up. Maybe I'm fine. They keep saying that I'm fine. So maybe I am fine. Now, do you remember at that point of the journey, was there anything other than Cushing's that they were looking into? Like any other possible diagnosis that they explored? Yep. They looked at a whole bunch of different things. I had every test under the sun that you could imagine. I mean, kidney tests, liver tests. Um, they tested for lupus. Um just all sorts of things, everything but Cushing's because it was too rare, apparently. Um, and I remember the doctor that told me that he was testing me for lupus. And I had said when he called back for the results, well, could it be Cushing's? And he laughed at me. He said, absolutely not. It's too rare. And he laughed. So getting that positive MRI was just so reassuring that Yes, I was right. Yes, exactly. And and the thing that I find frustrating, especially with when it comes to the adrenal gland, like you said, Cushing's that they, they did a cortisol test and they found out you're yeah. like it, it wasn't a complicated, expensive MRI. It wasn't anything um, you know, over the top that you could anyone could ask for to be tested for Cushing's. It was it was just say, you know what, let's rule it out. Let's just do a simple blood test and yeah. what your cortisol's fine. It's not Cushing's. So we'll cross that one off the list, right? Yeah. So I think that's um, a perfect message right there for our listeners that, you know what, a lot of these tests are just simple blood tests and that you should be able to push for them and, and find somebody, whether it's a specialist or a family doctor or somebody who might just add that onto your blood work could make yeah. years of difference in your diagnosis, right? So absolutely. Um, so after that point, after you found out you had the tumor, after you found out you were right, <laughs> And you had a direction to go into, um, you had some surgeries coming up. So tell us about those surgeries and how, um, the journey that they took you on. Yeah. So once I was finally diagnosed, um, it was fairly quick. I had my first surgery, um, probably three months later. So it's a, um, I forget how to say it exactly. Transphenoidal, um, surgery where they go up the nose with, a, I think it's a laser actually. Um, and they cut the tumor off of my pituitary gland. And then once I'm done with that, they bandage it all up. I can't breathe. I have packing in my nose. Um, it's pretty awful. I, the amount of MRIs I had was unbelievable because you have to have one before surgery, right after surgery. I had one probably every day for weeks. Um, 
but they found out that my levels weren't coming down, my cortisol levels. Um, they were also checking my cortisol almost hourly at that point. Um, so I think it was five, six days after my first surgery, my levels still weren't coming down. Um, the neurosurgeon came in and he said he wanted to go in again before that I had fully healed and that passageway was closed. So they did and they took out half of my pituitary gland and they found a little bit more tumor underneath it. So hoped for the best. They packed me up. I had a CSF leak, which is a spinal fluid leak. Okay. Which were they, they were able to fix during surgery, which was good. Um, so yeah. And I was in neuro ICU, which the nurse told me there that most people that go into neuro ICU don't come out. So I was very lucky. That was also very scary. <laughs> now, was that in relation to, like you said, you had, I'm sorry, what was it? The spinal? Spinal fluid leak. So is that what put you in that situation then that no, it was just the brain surgery. It was just the the pituitary surgery itself. Just okay. because of all, it's I don't know, very complex. I I would think it would be. Sounds very yeah. complex to me. Yeah. So the healing is slow. Yeah. Um, you can't do anything after. You can't. I couldn't even go up my own stairs, do laundry. I couldn't do anything. Well, it sounds very complex and very delicate. Yes. Delicate is the word. Yeah. So, so what happened after, um, cause you said they couldn't remove all of the tumor. They couldn't remove it all. So it I had gone home It was wrapped after that. Sorry. It was wrapped around an artery, the part of the tumor. Yeah. So, um, after the second surgery, I went home and I think it was maybe six months later, eight months later, it was later on that year um, doing more testing, obviously. And they found that my levels were still pretty high. So they had suspected that there was still tumor left behind. Um, an MRI showed a spot, but they didn't know if it was more tumor or scar tissue. So I had to go in again. So basically what happens then there's, if I understand this right. And, um, in case some of the listeners are um, wondering as well. So the, basically the so you had a little bit of your pituitary left because they couldn't remove it all, correct? Correct. The tumor's there. So the tumor was still stimulating the pituitary enough to stimulate your adrenal glands with ACTH, correct? Which correct. Is, so it was like hyper stim. It was still that little teeny tiny bit of powerhouse pituitary and tumor. Like they were both working together too much. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then yep. the ACTH was still surging, telling the adrenal glands. Stacy's a rock star and she needs a whole bunch of cortisol when she doesn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. I was about 10 times the normal. Okay. Okay. Of cortisol. Okay. Yeah. So that's third a surgery. That's a, that's a, it's that's, a lot. Yeah. That's a, that's a big rock star. That's a big concert you're putting on Stacy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so third surgery revealed that it was more tumor. Um, they removed another piece of my pituitary, but the remaining piece of tumor was on my artery, the carotid artery. So they can't surgically remove it. So then the decision was made to have a bilateral adrenalectomy, 
<clears throat> which is removing both of my adrenal glands so that I cannot produce cortisol on my own at all, which is now Addison's. So best case scenario for you would have been, they would have treated the tumor and things maybe would have returned to normal for you with your cortisol levels, but that did yes. because they couldn't remove all of the tumor. Yeah. And it was still overstimulating the adrenals. So the decision had to be made to remove the adrenal glands completely. And yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the removal of the adrenal glands. Um, that surgery was a breeze compared to the other ones. <laughs> um, I had gone in and obviously it, it hurt. The, the recovery time was not fun, but I was back to work in two weeks. Wow. And, yeah. it was, and is it something similar to like, say the way they do a gallbladder now kind of thing? Like, is that how? Yeah, if I have three scars on each side of my abdomen. So it's, it's laparoscopic. Yeah. I would say I knew there was a word, yeah. but I knew I would fumble it up. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's what I assume. They probably, they just went in and it was very uninvasive surgery. They took yes. something important out, but it was physically uninvasive to your body. So correct. Yeah. Okay. So after, so now, 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 now you have adrenal insufficiency. And so how did they start treating that for you? So I was sent home with hydrocortisone and didn't really have a whole lot of information about it. It was, um, I knew that I was going to have to be on steroids for the rest of my life and that I could have the possibility of an adrenal crisis. I didn't really know to the extent of what the symptoms were. So it was a week out of my adrenal surgery. It was my birthday, went out for dinner. You know, I was excited out of the house for the first time in a long time and got home from dinner and didn't feel well. And I just thought it was food poisoning or just something wasn't sitting right with me. And it was my first adrenal crisis, uncontrollable vomiting, shivering. It was just, it was the worst feeling because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't have my emergency injection, so I didn't have an emergency kit. So were you not given one yet or told them about no, it? I, I had ordered it or I had brought my prescription to the pharmacy, but Just because it's rare, they had to order it in. So it was on order. But I think, especially if there's anyone listening right now that is newly diagnosed, or if you've never had a crisis... Um, exactly how Stacy described it as food poisoning. That's something that we hear over and over again. And when I had my first major crisis, that's exactly what I thought. It came on, I, I felt kind of off, but it came on fast and hard. So it had to be food poisoning. And it was it's very similar, that gunch wrenching feeling, but you really do feel like you're losing control. There's something you're losing control of in your body. And, yeah. and usually that's food poisoning, right? It's coming on violently. And yeah what it is it's a you got to think of it as that feeling as it's a very strong message from your body saying we need help and we need it now you better get your butt moving and that's basically yeah. that's basically what the symptoms of a crisis is we're, we're going downhill quickly and our body's screaming extremely loud at us now so correct um, so what else do you remember about that crisis exactly 
Um, so that first crisis was, it was rough. It was very rough. I got to the hospital by ambulance and, you know, I was put in, I was laying on the stretcher in the hallway and nobody was coming to see me. They were busy. Um, I didn't get put into a room for, I don't know, it was an hour or more and kept saying like, I need hydrocortisone. I need this IV and being told, I just need to wait. I just need to be patient. Um, and it got, it got really bad. Um, so finally, um, my husband called the London endocrinologist kind of on call line and was able to get them to talk to the charge nurse who was able to get that message to the on-call doctor. So I finally got the IV steroids and I would say within 20 minutes of getting that IV, I was starting to feel better. Like you could feel the life coming back. It's kind of amazing when that happens, when you experience it, because you can't really, that's exactly how you describe it. Like that's a, and, yeah. it, and it happens quickly. Like it's kind of, you go from one extreme to the other and you can just feel everything coming back Yeah, and, and think again. And, um, you know, it's like the lights come back on. Yeah. And it's an, it's an amazing feeling, but very scary to know where you were. Right. Like, yeah, that. it's very scary. It's, it's almost, um, hard to explain, right. Unless you've gone through it, you're just, you have no control. You don't know what's happening and it happens so fast and so different all the time. And that's why you need to be as prepared as you possibly can, because you don't know when that situation is going to happen. Yeah. So that happened very shortly after you were diagnosed. So like you were a complete newbie to this one. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, like completely new. So what, I mean, obviously you learned a lot right from the beginning, which is good. Um, moving forward. Um, what happened after that, after your crisis and what was the next part of the journey? Um, so I've had a couple of different crises, I think over the next couple of years. Um, and then I started, I guess, sending the hospital some information about Addison's and, um, trying to educate them so that when I did come in, they would know what to do. And basically saying, this is what happened. This is not acceptable. You need to do better. So after a, a bunch of these incidences, um, I ended up getting involved with the hospital and I was a patient experience partner. And I was able to create a care plan for myself. So um, I did a speech with the hospital and during that speech, there was a charge nurse and um, an IT, the manager of IT, I think it was the manager at the time. And they said, well, the care plans are really great. I'm glad you thought you have one. It's really helpful, but they're kept in a binder. And sometimes in the ER, the binder's not where it's supposed to be. And if you come in and you're unconscious or you can't speak, we wouldn't know to go check that binder, especially because of your age too. You're, you're fairly young. 
you know, we wouldn't necessarily think that you have a chronic life-threatening illness. We would tend to think of something else, like an overdose or something like that. So we got talking and um, I said, well, it would be ideal if it was on the electronic patient record so that when you register at the ER, your file pops up and then this big red box or something that says care plan with the instructions, what to do, how to treat, and the time, like, because we need this fast. Um, so it took a while, but they were able to make it happen. And ever since then, I've had zero issues at the hospital. I'm in and out. Like, as soon as I come in, I'm triaged right away. Um, I get the IV in 15 minutes or less, which is huge. It's a game changer. It vastly improves the recovery time. Um, I don't have to stay in bed for days after a crisis. I can go back to work the next day um, or a day after because it does take a lot out of your body if you have a crisis. Now, I'm missing, is that just linked to your personal hospital then that you have to go to one specific hospital or is it linked through a whole healthcare system like different hospitals? So at this time, it's only at my hospital, which I'm in a fairly small city, so we only have one. But I am working with my endocrinologist right now to spread this through different hospitals to have this kind of link to every hospital and also to spread awareness to other patients that that is something that they can do. You know, I think that's incredible because like you said, it took some time, but it's worth it. You just keep at it. And it makes all the difference. And I think the way you describe, you know, what I know I've experienced with crisis. Yes. The, what I went through in June, like I'm still recovering from it. Like it can be months of recovery because we know we have an invisible illness. And I think to a certain degree, it also becomes invisible to us. And yeah. we need to acknowledge when we go into crisis, we have to be reminded exactly what's happening. Like it's scary and it's very stressful on our body and our body's working very hard to survive. And that takes a lot of recovery. So the more you can stop that and yes. stop the process and get the care within 15 minutes, it's, it's going to prevent you going into another crisis. It's going to improve your quality of life. It's going to improve absolutely everything. And that's a great example of you saying, you know what, I worked at this. I go in now 15 minutes. I know when I'm going into a crisis, they don't doubt me. They give me my Cellucortaf, they give me my saline solution, and you know what? I go home and life continues on, and that's just part of having adrenal insufficiency, and that's really a message that needs to get out for everybody. And to be prepared. I mean, I have emergency kits everywhere. I have one in my coffee table. I have one in every bathroom. I have one at work. I have one in my purse, because you never know when it's going to happen, and the sooner you get that, injection yes the better off you are i almost got ran over once in a walmart parking lot and i remember grabbing my purse thinking oh, thank goodness because if i break a leg i'm yeah. gonna, right and if i didn't have it on me i don't know what was gonna happen and it's it's i always say it's like wearing a bike helmet you know what you try to prevent what you can prevent right like to have all these little kits all over the place is yeah is extremely extremely important um to advocate for yourself and just yeah, just simply be prepared. Yeah. 
Um, so is there anything else about your journey that from that point on, you've done a great job advocating and getting a care plan for yourself, emergency kits, anything else happened along your journey since, um, um, I think just being persistent. So through my whole diagnosis journey, I think after the first time of me not feeling something was right, I should have persisted a little bit more. But instead, I trusted the doctor to say everything was fine and I'm just making it up or whatever was said. I th I think I would have if I could go back and do it over again, I think I would just do things sooner and and fight for that second opinion or ninth opinion in my case. <laughs> right. Um, another thing I really like that you mentioned earlier is, um, you know, when we come into the ER, you know, we're rare. We are a rare breed. So, you know, the staff, we have to acknowledge that although we want everyone to be like, Oh, you have Addison's disease. You have adrenal insufficiency. I know what to do. It's not going to happen. We need to self-help ourselves and be ready to advocate for ourselves in those situations. But we also, we have to acknowledge the people helping us are just human as well. And they're not going to know. So we, this is our responsibility to communicate with them exactly what's going on and advocate and come together as a team. And, you know, hopefully what you're working on with your endocrinologist, you know, it's, it sounds like it's something once it's get going, it's going to spread and it's going to benefit all of us. And I hope so. like, and that's, that's exactly what we need. We need fast care. And it's, it's like that blood test we talked at the beginning, like, you know, it would have been a simple cortisol test to see if Stacy had Cushing's because she thinks maybe this is it. And she really, when we look at it, she's got all the symptoms, but let's just, I don't, you know, just do the simple blood test. Treating ad adrenal crisis isn't overly complicated. We come into the ER, they give us our solucortab, they give us saline solution, they monitor us, and then they send us home. So um, I think it's fabulous what progress you have made for us. So um, so thank you, Stacey. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what else anything else i want to make sure you share anything that you want to is there anything that we've missed or anything that you want to add in i know for me some of the key things that you mentioned is that care plan um is working you know it's just conversations that you know it doesn't hurt to you know contact your local ems and find out their protocols or talk to your endocrinologist and say you know what what kind of protocols can we put into place what can we do i mean the worst thing somebody can say to you is they're not going to either respond to your email and you have to send a few more or um, they're going to say no, or maybe they have some ideas or something in place and you never know where it's going to lead, right? You never know yeah. what it might open up. So I think that's really important. Um, the emergency kits, having the emergency kits all over the place and just trusting your own instincts and it's not food poisoning. It's a crisis. There's, there's the moral of today's lesson is, is not food poisoning. Like you think it is Yeah, probably your first adrenal crisis and you better move fast. Right. So, um, so yeah. So anything else? Um, also don't be afraid to updose. Yes. Yes. I, in the beginning, I had a really hard time updosing. I just, I was so afraid of getting those Cushing symptoms back that I deprived myself of the hydrocortisone that I needed. And I probably had a couple of crisis 
moments that were unnecessary just because I should have updosed. So now I'm I'm pretty pretty good about updosing. I am on a very low dose to begin with. So I think I'm just kind of teetering that line all the time. So I um I updose quite a bit and that's okay. It's if that's what my body needs, that's what it needs. No, and you're right. And we have to remember that the treatment that we take, the steroids we take, they're just replacements. So the natural human body produces more cortisol when it needs it. And we can't do that. So we're going to run low and we have to be in tune to our bodies and to know. And really it's just, you live and learn, right? Every time you go low, uh, I know my family doctor told me, he goes, if you think you're low, just take a little bit. He goes, and if you feel better in a half an hour, you know what the problem was. Goes, and then you'll know better for next time and just try and stay on top of it as best as you can so that you don't run yourself down and go into a crisis because a crisis doesn't have to be you know a fever or an injury or something like it can just come on from pure physical exhaustion and obviously when you had your first one you had just had surgery there was a lot a lot going on and you were carrying a lot on your shoulders and then you decided to go out for dinner and your body was probably like okay yeah no we're too exhausted to go out for dinner yeah <laughs> but like, I was excited about it excited right but you were excited and it was kind of life is getting back to normal but your body internally was just it just wasn't quite there yet and and because like, good stress is the same as bad stress exactly. <laughs> exactly that's you know what that's a really good thing to point out because everybody always thinks that stress is bad on our bodies it's bad 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 that's what's going to affect our cortisol levels and drive them up everything we do is is stress on our body so whether it's laughing that's why socializing so hard when like we're you know socializing events can be so hard on us because yep. even if it's happy and exciting it still it wears us out and pulls our cortisol down and yep. experience low cortisol symptoms so absolutely Excellent point. Excellent. Thank you for bringing that up. So, um, so I think we will just wrap up unless there's something else that you would like to add, Stacy. Um, I think that's it. No, this was perfect. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And we really appreciate your time here in the pickle jar. Thanks for having me. Stacy, thank you so much again for sharing with us your journey with Cushing's disease to adrenal insufficiency. It's so inspiring and you've done so much. And I am truly, truly grateful for you opening up your heart with us here on the pickle jar. So just a reminder to go back and listen, if you haven't yet, to Stacey's journey in episode 29, when she gives that patient experience partner um, presentation, where she gives us her presentation that she gave to a group of medical professionals. And it's, it's just a very unique outlook from a patient's perspective, and I highly recommend it. So again, thank you, Stacy, and thank you to our listeners for coming back into the pickle jar with us. I truly appreciate your time as well. And until next time, please be well, my pickles.